Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Agents Hope podcast. My name is Tim Cox. I'm your host and I am really uh, excited and honoured to have a whole, well not quite a whole uh, education psychology service, but quite a lot of members of the education psychology service for the first like group, I guess, episode that we've ever done. And we have Southend EPS with us today. Um, hello guys. Um, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself one by one because we can't all talk at once. So, so Kate, could you introduce yourself first? Yes, hello. My name's Kate Boyle. Um, I uh, was actually an assistant at Southend. I've left very recently, so um, not technically part of the team anymore, much to my dismay. But much to my delight, I am starting the doctoral training um, at the Institute of Education. I'm about a week awesome. away from starting. So, um, yeah, lots going on at the moment. Um, got a background, spent a lot of time in primary schools, also been a childline counsellor for a long time. So um, I've always felt really privileged um, to be able to uh, provide a space um, to hear from young people. Mm. Um, and um, it's just been such a joy to uh, enter the profession as an assistant and uh, work along such like-minded people mm -hmm. who value raising and hearing the voices of children and young people just as much as I have and it's been so, so such a wonderful project to be part of and we're really excited to talk about it today. Awesome. I'll let uh, pass over to Dr Sarah Wendland to introduce herself as well. Okay. Thank you Kate. Uh, so yeah so I'm Sarah Wendland. Um, I am a very recently qualified hence the note to, doc to doctor rather enjoying that title. Um, so I was a trainee at Southend for the last two years um, and as I said I've just qualified and I've become a full-time main grade there. Um, very exciting yeah. Um, and yeah as Kate said it, it's been such a great time to be part of the Southend team and work with so many great people on this project and we're just so excited to talk about it because promoting pupil voice is just something we're all really passionate about. Mm -hmm. It's such an important part of the UP role. Um, so yeah, so this, I'm sure I could talk for a lot more, but I'll pass on to Lauren first because I'm sure we'll have more opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Lauren Bagley. I'm uh, currently a year three trainee with the lovely South End team, um, and I'm at the University of Southampton. So when we did this project, I was a year two trainee at mm. the time. Um, and I guess finding... Uh, finding different things to do during lockdown, different ways of working, quite difficult. And so when an opportunity to do a project like this came up, I was just so excited um, mm -hmm. to be involved. My background is um, in mental health and therapeutic approaches. So I'm really interested in resilience and coping um, and what a better project than to look at that uh, within the frame of a very strange situation that we found ourselves yeah. in. Um, so it just, yeah, such an exciting project to awesome. get involved with. Hi, um, I'm Sarah Sivers. I'm a main grade, main grade EP at Southend. Um, I've worked there for five years now. Um, yeah, it's just been, as everyone said, it's been a strange and different time. So we've had um, new ways of working and new ways of thinking about things. But um, like all the others said, one of the key things that we found quite early on was um, wanted to explore the experiences of children and young people. And that's been very important for me throughout all of my kind of career working in education. So 
um, it just seemed like a natural thing to to get involved with and set up the project about really. Mm. Yeah I mean it seems like you know we're talking about um, for, for the listeners benefit we're talking about a, a project which we're going to talk about for a lot of this uh, podcast which is around children's views in Southend and and how you got those and what, and what were the kind of outcomes of that but you know, Southend have been really at the forefront of, of this kind of way of working within the lockdown and kind of COVID-19 era um, you know it's not a particularly long era it seems really long but it's it's not been that long but very quickly in, into lockdown, you were really kind of outward looking and seemed to be way ahead of, well, certainly kind of my thinking in terms of um, outreach and and talking about the role of EP, that um, what it could be on a, on a really quite national level. And we'd had a, a few conversations via Twitter following the tech conference, I think, in January. And then... Uh, we talked a little bit about kind of hope over those direct messages that you can do on Twitter, but you came out very quickly with what is it education psychology outreach as a, as a YouTube yeah. channel. Reach yeah, out, reach sorry, out, yeah. reach out. So could you tell me a little bit about that? Because it's been a great resource for me. I was kind of involved quite early on, but just for people who perhaps haven't come across it, um, just explain a little bit about what that was. Yeah, I suppose if I pick up on that, so um, again, Sarah Sivers here, and then the others can chip in as they want. Um, sure. So it's with EP Reach Out that was co-created um, with Nicole and I. Nicole was going to come along today, but she's got some meetings, so um, sort of speaking on her behalf with this. So, um, yeah, I think lockdown, I mean, we knew something was coming um, and it happened quite quickly. Um, and between us, Nicole was involved with um, a separate project. Um, she's a mindfulness and yoga teacher. So she was already doing some online videoing through, um, through Zoom. And then equally so, I'd been in charge of the Twitter feed and um, set website. So I'd been involved in some of that online connection with people. Um, then when we first came out with... And the lockdown and there was lots of stuff around digital poverty, technological poverty for a lot of families. We started to think, well, how can we use this technology in the most effective way mm -hmm. and literally reach out to as many people as we could? So um, Nicole and I separately started doing sort of little videos of mindfulness. I did something for parents and we um, came together. And yeah, EP Reach Out was born as such. Um, we went to our management with the with a plan. Mm. And um, so our PEP and our SEM manager were interested in it. We did a pilot, um, just one episode with them to show them what it would look like. Mm -hmm. And um, we were able to run with it quite quickly as well. So as I say, we'd already got the website set up. Nicole had got a Zoom account set up as part of her other work. And um, we'd got, um, I'd got a YouTube channel that I'd never used, but mm -hmm. we were able to kind of do that. Then my, actually my stepdaughter helped us do the logo and things like that. So it, it was, we had friends and help all around. Yeah. And then of course that wonderful EP community um, came alongside us very quickly. So we had our own colleagues sign up for the webinars. Um, a shout out to Patrick 
Sullivan as well, who was a trainee and EP here at Southend, he's now at Tamar Hamlets. He did the pilot with us. And of course you did as well, Tim. You were one of our very early contributors and helped us set up the, the project. So yeah. Um, yeah, team effort. Yeah, so what's before we kind of go into the kind of content, so what's the what's the um the setup? What's the what what are the episodes like for somebody who might be interested in thinking, oh, what sort of commitment is this? What's the structure of it? you mean to actually come on and present no i mean in terms of what would you might expect where would you find this stuff what are they going to find in terms of the webinars so yeah so we created all these webinars and they are available as i said on our youtube channel which um if you just go on to youtube and type in educational psychology reach out it, it comes up and you can click on the channel and you'll find um all the videos that we've already done with of the webinars and there's such a huge variety um, of webinars. So we mm. things touching on all different aspects of um, educational needs. We've also got people talking about sort of more theoretical um, parts of educational psychology. We've got some really practical things um, and they're not just done by EPs. So we've had people from our SEN team come on. We've had other professions um, come on as well uh, to talk about their areas of interest or their areas mm. of keys um so there really is a vast variety i suppose yeah available and um and that's all on our youtube channel and then for the upcoming ones um you can find them on our website so um if you go on to google south End educational psychology um service our website comes up um, and you can see all the future upcoming ones and you just click on a link and enter your email address and name to register and then you'll have the Zoom link um, for those ones. And mm. correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, um, but we've got them every two weeks now. So we've got one episode every two weeks, roughly. Um, every week, one episode a week, apparently. I've yeah. been corrected. Um, and we're really excited because we're, we're trying to get more young people involved in them. So we had the Youth Council come on and do a great webinar um, already. And we're hoping to get them back on and possibly some other young people as well to really make sure it's for everybody. It's not for one mm. type of person. It is for everybody and anybody who thinks they might find it interesting or benefit from it. Um, so, yeah, I think I don't know if Kate or Lauren's got anything to add to that, but certainly that's how I... Mm -hmm. I think it's just such a fantastic resource and to have them all there to refer back to at any point um, is wonderful um, partly to see just the breadth of work and, and knowledge that comes within this profession um, I know a lot of aspiring EPs have found them really really useful yeah. um, not only to learn about various different theories or approaches but also just to see how varied the type of work is that EPs actually do or get involved with um, but also seeing um, the, who, who works alongside EPs and who, who else you know is part of co-production and things like that what they do a bit more information and detail mm -hmm. than everyone that sits around the table really um, so yeah it's very it's a great resource I think for, particularly for aspiring EPs but for anyone yeah Great. I think what I've loved 
sorry, I think what I've loved as well, I was just thinking, is that how much it's grown from um, kind of watching those initial videos when we started out and then things would lead on. So people would watch and say, oh, I really liked this, um, I don't know, relaxation video, for example, and some breathing techniques were mentioned. So could we have more of that? Um, mm. so I really liked how it became sort of, people got involved with us and, and people would ask questions and people would come back and say, I'd really like something to do with this. And then we, you know, Sarah would, and Nicole would do their best to go out and find that if that was something people were interested in. So it became quite interactive. Yeah. Um, we got, you know, lots of feedback from people and, and lots of people wanting to come back and wanting to listen to other things, which I just thought we built a little bit of a community almost of, um, mm -hmm different topics and people that were interested in different things it was really really nice to see that's one of the things I loved about it mm. yeah I, I absolutely agree and I think from from an outsider kind of looking at all those kind of involved in those very kind of early um episodes I mean it's just created this like it's the library of uh, the 25 to 30 minute episodes um which are kind of responsive to need and what I really loved about it is that it's like the briefer when you kind of brief me as a speaker on it it's like this is for eps to an extent but it's also for the local community so try and make it adaptable to that and i tried to put harry potter alongside hope and that made me just think about it in a different way um and you know i loved that, that those kind of values that seem to be coming up again and again in the 10 minutes we talked so far about being responsive um, to the needs of others, co-production, being centred on the needs of young young people, um, and and that kind of real community feel um, to to this kind of one thing. Whilst people might just see it as the use of technology to do EP stuff, it's really kind of grown much bigger than just a technological thing, which is which has been amazing. I'd really like to take this opportunity to, to, to thank you, at least from my point of view, for providing that resource to people. But as I was saying before we came on, is that almost weekly I'm in EP forums or uh, WhatsApp groups and people say, oh, have you seen this stuff that WhatsApp, oh, not WhatsApp, what Southend are doing? Um, and it's been really helpful for, for EPs up in the Northeast, I'm, I'm sure across the country. So, so thank you very much for that. Thank you, Tim. Um, yeah, I'm, I can say actually that the response and the positive response has been quite overwhelming, really, um, from this kind of um, idea that Nicole and I pitched. And as you know, like everybody, we've been pitching these things from these little boxes on Zoom and in our bedrooms and dining rooms. So um, to think that we, we have um brightened up people's mornings has been great i mean we had quite a few people going i sit and have my breakfast with you and, and knowing people were watching um yeah kind of inspired us to carry on i suppose and thinking about what you've just said um about you know the ep community and and then the wider community what i suppose one of the things that we hoped would happen and i think has happened is Sometimes people don't know what educational psychologist is or what we do or maybe the breadth of what we do as a profession. And I'd like to think that we've kind of put it out there in a, a quite accessible way, that there's a wide range mm. of things that we can do, that we can offer. 
um, and we also interconnect with parents, other professionals and things like that. So, you know, I, I really do hope that it, it's been that kind of shift to see the profession in a different way as well. Yeah. And we were talking with, I was talking with Dan O'Hare a couple of episodes ago and he was talking about, you know, this being the kind of period, the kind of odd period, but for the profession to seem to arrive in the 21st century and, and start talking about things. And I think we, you know, I started out Agents of Hope, this podcast as a little idea kind of with, with Joe Taylor um, in, I think, April or March. And it's just kind of taken off and people are, interested and want to come and talk about the things so i think it's the same with south end and it's it's brilliant to see you know blogs springing up uh, with teps and, and people interested in the profession taking part um and your kind of youtube channel and then you know lots of people coming and talking about on, on twitter in the last couple of weeks about kind of working groups um and, and the podcast it's been really amazing to see that kind of um yeah, I guess it's kind of a bit of an explosion of that activity. It may have been happening before I was on Twitter because I only really joined Twitter after the, the January tech conference. But yeah, it's been an amazing couple of, well, half a year in some ways um, for, for the profession. <laughs> I think that's been, been good. I think we've taken the best or made the best in some ways that we can of this difficult situation. And with you saying that, you know, I'm surprised actually, Tim, that it's only been sort of about six months you've been on Twitter. It feels like longer. I mean, as an EPS, I think it's been about 18 months now that we've had um, our Twitter account. I had one before mm -hmm. that. Um, again, Patrick and I set up the, the Twitter because there was just this steady growing of the EP community and, and sharing things. And, um, you know, we were all talking about bubbles in schools and at home now, but it did feel very much like this bubble of an EP Twitter community mm. that was very safe and sharing. And I think that's really continued and grown massively. So to see TEPs and assistant psychologists all join in and and share and, and get ideas from each other, I think is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I guess your this group on this on this podcast moment is from a range of experiences and backgrounds and and places within their sort of EP careers. How how has it felt being part of this kind of pioneering project for, for the I guess from assistance to TEPs, what's that felt like? Well, from my point of view, as a third year TEP when we started this project, it, it's just been such a fantastic opportunity. And when we started it, we kind of, it was kind of like, oh, this small little project, we'll just get involved. And then as it's grown and grown and grown, it's almost like I keep having to do reality checks of, I'm a third year TEP, am I really doing this? Is this work really going out nationally? Mm. so it's been quite a surreal experience but but one I would never change and to be honest if Covid hadn't happened then I don't think I would have had this opportunity in such a way um, mm -hmm. that I'm very grateful because it has been a great experience um, and something that I'm very proud and very happy to be involved with especially as it's grown and grown and grown although it's still very scary at mm. certain like oh this is this has got big um but again as we've always said you know it's it's really showing what the ep role can do and how diverse the ep role is and i think that's something 
as a community, we've always been trying to show and display. And somehow I've managed to be a part of this in, yeah. in a way I've never experienced <laughs> or thought I could. I don't know about Lauren and Kate, but certainly from a third year, mm. it was good. <laughs> so what did you yeah, think, I, Lauren? I think I'd completely agree with Sarah. Just while you were talking, I was thinking back to um, when Sarah S kind of mentioned about this um, project that was happening and these things that she was starting to do and thinking as a trainee is that something I can get involved with is that you know what what am I looking to do here and actually you know how fantastic to think about the EP role and think about you know one of the main things we want to do is to be flexible um, in how we work and, and how we meet um, you know these novel situations that come up and as a trainee to have the opportunity to do some novel work, to do some flexible ways of working and especially to move things virtually um, and still have that connection with people was just, yeah, as Sarah said, just a fantastic opportunity, something I'm really glad I, I got to be involved with. Um, and it's definitely, I think, taught me a lot about how flexible the EP role can be and, and the different ways that we can meet need. Um, as we, as you said, in what was a very strange, but in a weird way, it ended up being a bit of a positive situation as well in that way. Yeah, yeah. And Kate, as a kind of new, kind of fresh starter, just about to start at the Institute of Education, is that how, how does it feel kind of going into that situation with this experience? Under my belt already, yeah. yeah. I, it's similar to the others. Part, part of me is just incredibly full feels incredibly fortunate to have had opportunities like this like Sarah said to to do work on a sort of national scale before I've even started my training um, and how that snowballed and opened more doors and more opportunities um, and kept me tied to the South End team um, which I which I am really grateful for mm. um, but yeah like the others have said as well the other part of it is learning how much flexibility there is in the in the profession and i think that's so important that i've learned that now as i'm as i'm an assistant and or was an assistant and really sort of learning it's scaffolding a lot of a lot of mm. my learning isn't it i'm mirroring um my role was sort of mirroring eps and shadowing them and seeing what they do and to be able to do that in the climate where there's so much flexibility and they're adapting and they're dynamic is it's taught me so much and I'll take that with me for sure so I think mm. um what a wonderful way to start really in difficult circumstances but there's so much positivity that I can take from that yeah brilliant brilliant yeah and I, I you know as I said the values that seem to be coming through to me kind of needs seem to be centered around the importance of young people I guess this is kind of moving to the main meat a part of this you know um episode is that you know we're talking about um you know young people's voice in covid and we've heard lots of politicians voices and a lot of media voices but you were very quickly onto having some very large-scale research well for, for you know i had 25 in my thesis research you had 725 um or, or something like that it was crazy big numbers in may crazy um so yeah so tell me a bit about this kind of research that you did what was the, the aims what you know what were you trying to do well as you kind of just said tim there was so many different voices out there but there was no voice of a child or young person not mm. 
nobody was looking into that. And as EPs or people who work in an educational psychology service, we just thought that was not right. We're like, the person, well, the children and young people who are experiencing COVID, their, their voices and their views are just as valid and true and right as anybody else's. And actually, as adults, we're there trying to make decisions about what should happen to them going back into school, but yet nobody was actually asking them about what their experience or thoughts were. And in the true sense of planning and co-production, you can't do that with having, without having their voice. And I think that's something we all very strongly felt. So our aim was to just hear their voices and see what they thought about the current situation. Um, and taking note of the fact that actually they've all been in different situations because there's primary school children, there's secondary school children, there's mm-hmm. people at college. Um, there were some children who were experiencing still going to school. Some children were completely experiencing complete isolation and shielding. Um, mm. And therefore, we had to be able to help all of that. So we had four questionnaires um, sent out to, to reflect that. So we had primary age, both at school and at home, and then secondary or college age, both at school and at home, just to make sure that we appreciated that not everybody's situation was the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really how it started. And sent these questionnaires out, asking them about their experiences what they were thinking, what's helped them to cope, what were they thinking about the return to school? Because at that time there was all this question about when they return, will they return, what's going to happen? And we really just saw it as an opportunity to hear what they were saying. And I don't think we really had a plan of too much about what we were going to do once we'd heard their voices, but that sort of developed as we went through the process. Um, Mm. It really was about just gaining those experiences initially. Yeah. it provides such a, a wonderful counter narrative to to what seems completely lacking in the last six months. Really, you know, I remember watching the the news reels of children just leaving school in March. I figured that's the last time some of those children would be at that school and have have their say. And then jump forward to August and the kind of exam result stuff, um, where it just seemed like we've we've given up even talking to the teachers about it and leaving it to computers. Um, and obviously, and then you heard children's voices very quickly, very forcefully and very powerfully in turning re- around that um, that way of thinking. And it's, you know, that just, I, I thought of your, your research when that was happening, saying, well, actually, in pockets, in South End and in Nottingham particularly, there were people ahead of the curve on that. So just before we get into kind of what, came out of that and what kind of questions kind of you were asking what was the kind of I guess the psychology behind um what you you were doing what you were trying to to do we talked about power threat meaning before Sarah um so I'm going to drop you in on that now because it's something really interesting but haven't actually got round to to implementing yet yeah definitely I mean I suppose uh... Going back on what Sarah said, the, the reason why we were kind of quite decisive or I was quite decisive about gaining the pupil views in the first place was um, the, the very quick move to the dominant <clears throat> dominant narrative around what it was going to be like for children when they went back to school. You know, we were very quickly in this um, idea of catch up and, you know, there was going to be 
big gaps. And that, that did happen very, very early. Um, so it, it just felt wrong. And I, I do a lot of work and thinking around narrative therapy. So I was very aware of kind of these messages and how powerful they were. And you say, we'll go on to this a bit more when we talk about the themes, but we, the children and young people showed us very quickly that they were picking up on these narratives. So as we started to get the voices and hear them, it really um, brought up to me the work I've been doing around the power threat meaning framework, um, which came out in 2018. And it's some work that's been done by some clinical psychologists called Lucy Johnson and her colleagues. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's a sort of a bit of a shift away from maybe a mod medical model of diagnosis for psychiatric disorders. But what Lucy Johnson really wants it to be used is as a wider framework to think about um, ideologies and just how we um, approach the world. So a lot of it is, I suppose, thinking about what happens to people, what happened to you mm. is, a, is kind of a key, key question in the framework. Um, and that's kind of what we did with the questionnaire that we put out to the children. What's happening? What's it like for you? How are you coping? Um, and then thinking about how, you know, they think about the threats. So, you know, the, the power that be at that time, all of these dominant narratives that were coming out were, were painting a particular picture of what it was like for children and what was going to happen. Um, and there was elements of that, that that were quite sort of threatening, weren't they? You know, the um, quite negative narratives. So we wanted to kind of counter that and give a, a different viewpoint. Um, and I suppose that ties in with the power threat meaning of searching for, again, what they call survival strategies or okay. threat responses. Um, so we were looking for the children's and young people's coping strategies. Mm. And again, how we might use those to plan for our local communities, but also in a wider way of saying, how can we change? Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's wonderfully kind of illustrated how, the approach. So how did that kind of feed into, I guess, the methodology of, of, of what you're doing? So you had these four questionnaires, were they kind of open-ended questionnaires? Were they around specific questions? We did have specific questions um, because we were looking at younger and older um, children. We, we didn't want to put out there a questionnaire for SEN children. We wanted them to be quite open so they were quite inclusive. Mm -hmm. So the way we designed them and we designed them through um, Google Docs, Google Forms. Um, so we did partly questions such as... Um, asking their, their age and their year group that, yeah, that's yeah. the only demographic kind of information we asked for um and then some of the questions had choices so mm -hmm. it could be um how are you feeling about being at home or still being at school and um maybe a picture with a thumbs up a thumb to the side and a thumbs down to make it okay. a bit more visual yeah, yeah. they could click on that then the next question might be something about tell me a bit more about what it's what it's like for you Mm -hmm. okay so quite a short piece of work in it yeah and you got lots of responses from that were you focused on one particular area of south end or was it just a wide net anybody in south end i think it went out to all schools in south end um so it was shared shared via the um 
staff and Senkos mm. and things and went out to all parents who then shared it with their with their children sometimes parents supported their children um to write them but sometimes the children did them independently as well mm. but yeah we had it was a really overwhelming amount of responses we weren't expecting that at all um and it was when this questionnaire's closed we was quite sort of um, intimidated by how much there was and how much data there was to go through but it was incredibly moving I can't actually explain how moving it was to read all of the young people's words um, and we all really shared that sentiment mm. Mm. and so were you kind of theming those as, as, as a team as they came through uh, or just all at the end together that must have been quite some job yeah I think I think definitely we were sort of we were so excited by seeing all of these responses coming in um, and we'd kind of get to a point where we just thought we'd sorted out how we were going to manage um, perhaps taking an area each so primary at school or at home and then the same for secondary and looking at college as well. So we'd kind of divided it that way. Um, and then we'd have another flurry of responses. Mm. It, it seemed, didn't it, that every time we we just got to a place where we could start having a look through at the themes um, and we were starting to see patterns emerging, we'd have another flurry. And I think that was because the word was, maybe people were talking to each other about filling it in, maybe word was spreading, um, maybe people were catching up. Um, and it, it just really felt that, the young people and the children were really kind of taking hold of that opportunity to have their say. Um, mm. That was why we were getting, you know, such an overwhelming response back. It was, it was really exciting and overwhelming at the same time. Um, but it, yeah, we, it was quite nice how we were able to sort of take a, an area of interest, if you like, or um, mm. a, each that we would want to have a look at and we could then um, quite readily divide it that way um, and start to have a look through the themes and then we just found that we were so excited about what we were finding I think we did the theme separately and then we were finding that actually even though we'd looked at that separately they were matching up quite well and mm -hmm. doing some unique things in there too and we just really wanted to discuss them so we also built in those opportunities to discuss the themes together and then that would make us reflect and think, oh, I want to go back and have another look through and um, mm. even more. So it was just, yeah, it was it worked quite well um, the way that we ended up doing it. But I think we certainly weren't expecting <laughs> that level of response. And so the logistics of, of working out how we were going to do that initially did take some thought as to how we were going to tackle that. And of mm. course, virtually to do it as well, added a new level of challenge. Yeah. Yeah, and it, well, I mean, a couple of reflections on the kind of things you're saying. I mean, firstly, to get that many responses and, and to have that wider net and it to kind of have that snowballing effect shows like yeah. the relationships you must have as a team with your schools, um, that they would take this on and put that voice out there. I guess the second thing was like that amount of children responding clearly shows that maybe there was a real need for that at that point is that children really wanted to have their say um and make sense of what was going on in in their own lives and maybe that was helpful in, in itself and just it's really nice to hear that kind of the excitement there was around that process of of theming and i have to say as a general point you all look very fresh 
after <laughs> what must have been a really busy summer. Um, so it must have, you know, you must have been entering that kind of flow state where this is so intrinsically rewarding that it's not taking too much kind of energy. It doesn't feel like you were kind of, you know, walking through treacle um, as you went on. So I mean, again, that, that's my reflections on those methodologies as you kind of go on. But I, I'm sure the listeners really want to hear what were the kind of the themes of the research um, that you kind of came across. Um, so we had four themes and that, that were opportunities, relationships, certainty and safety. Um, and they covered a variety of different things, um, but across all age ranges and some were a bit more unique. And I think we can probably all talk a little bit about one each really mm. so for me this, I, I did quite a lot on safety because um for the secondary age group which is the one i was working with a lot was coming up about the actual physical safety around the virus and that was not only our physical safety but the emotional safety of mm -hmm. it and and really wanting to understand about the virus and i was certainly really um impressed with the level of knowledge that young people were sharing about sort of the R rate, the um, all the different aspects that were coming with it and sort of talking about government guidance and local guidance and really showing that they'd really developed quite an understanding of the virus or as much as we all were all doing mm -hmm. our own understanding of the virus and really having that thirst to understand it and, and to know how to be safe um, for themselves, for, for others and for the community in general as well. And not only physically safe, but the emotional safety as well, which mm -hmm. their relationships and talking about their well-being and how, how they were feeling in general and how uncertain sometimes they were feeling, which obviously feeds into lots of the other themes um, mm -hmm. as well. And I'll let the others take a theme each, I suppose. Um, yeah, I really wanted to talk about the opportunities theme because I, yeah. kind of, I got really drawn into that one. And I think that was the theme that I really um, kind of connected with because... There were, you know, this certainly wasn't for all children and young people. Um, there were certainly aspects of missed opportunities. And that, that was really sad, actually, for us to read about things that the children and young people would really look forward to. And they just felt that they'd really missed out. And there was a lot of hoping that maybe there would be a chance to do that at a later date. And um, that uncertainty around whether it could be done. Mm. Um, but I guess a more unexpected um, part of the opportunities, and I guess what really drew me in, was finding really unexpectedly, particularly with the primary age children, there was such a theme around all these amazing opportunities that they'd had, either being at home or being in school, um, that this novel situation had created. And just looking at it through their lens was so interesting to hear sort of uh, you know people talking about I've been doing some more baking I've been reading um lots of talk of going outside in whatever way that was possible for them to do so for the children in school they were just loving the opportunity to be doing some gardening or to be out on the playground. Um, they talked a lot about uh, new friendships that they'd made to the children that were in school, spoke of that opportunity to befriend some maybe students that they wouldn't have mixed with before because they may have been in different year groups um, and they've been brought together by this situation. And it just, it, it really struck all of us, I think, through our conversations that we had around that theme, where we just thought, wow, sometimes we really underestimate um, 
actually the resilience of these children and the the kind of positive lens that they can put on things and, and just how they cope I guess because as we were talking we were thinking really what what they're doing here is they're finding these positive opportunities in this strange situation they find themselves in they're finding ways to enjoy themselves and mm. and better and they're also doing what we all do and they're seeking connections and they're seeking a group to be with and those relationships um and it it was just really astounding I think how how positive that was and how they were actually being very resilient and and implementing these coping strategies that I guess for me personally I wasn't expecting to read about that I was kind of expecting the responses to be about the missed opportunities which were in there too but mm. much more centered I guess on the things that had been missed out on um and and you know the the more negative aspects of the situation they found themselves in um so it was just it was really lovely to read that and it was you know it was lovely that in our conversations we found that that just kept leading back into everything we talked about mm -hmm. tea, about how it made them feel safer uh, about how they had made these relationships and we you know we got a bit caught up in everything was feeding into each other but it was so lovely that it did yeah. um, and it came through so strongly in so many responses as well so we we really felt that that was really important. That was something that was coming through across the age ranges and across situations, whether that be at home or in their setting. Um, mm -hmm. It was just, yeah, that was a, that was a really interesting theme that came through and got a bit obsessed with <laughs> going back yeah. and, and rereading and finding more and more um, and discussing it. It was just that was fantastic. That response. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds that I mean that part of you know your uh, report really kind of stood out to me is that kind of um that the joy of that the, the hopefulness of that the the resilience yeah. of that just to see how children cope when the chips are down and perhaps this research providing us with a more holistic uh, understanding of childhood in south End in in a, in a pandemic mm. um but also perhaps providing that space for reflection which um, allows those young people to reflect on what they would like to get out of their life and what skills they are and what they would do when they got the free time. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, for me, that was um, really interesting and inspiring and hopeful part of the, part of the research. Yeah. And, uh, you know, something that I think, you know, if, you know, the EPSs that I was working in and all that sort of thing could replicate that and get that understanding of the broader um the broader hopeful activities that people do that's how i'd see it um then that could really help to think about broadening the curriculum and seeing people beyond the gap that they that they might um be experiencing so we've got two two other um themes i don't know who's taking what so who kate yeah. yeah, I'll talk briefly about the theme of uncertainty. Um, yeah. So it came across again through all ages, of course. Um, it's We saw the theme ourselves um, through a lot of questions being asked, actually, in the questionnaire, firstly. Um, but also just so much... Um, insecurity really about what was happening and mm -hmm. a real need for knowledge to sort of feel safe and feel secure um, and 
yeah, there was it was clear that there were a lot of young people um, f- for whom that lack of certainty um, really made them feel less safe. Um, and, and whilst, of course, there weren't necessarily answers out there, there still aren't. There's, it is a period of uncertainty. It was quite clear that a lot of the young people in South End certainly were still being left out of a lot of conversations and even um, weren't being given... Um, even the honesty that some adults in their lives didn't know, didn't have answers and things. Um, so that was a, a really clear one. So the young people would, you know, even ask us questions anonymously on this questionnaire and they're seeking that information wherever they could. Mm. Um, and a lot of them, of course, did turn to the media and things like that. Again, seeking information, seeking answers. And of course that, that really ties with that uh, safety theme as well and, and how that, you know dominant media narratives and things like that then informed a lot of these views and fed that uncertainty about um, not feeling safe and seeing people as threats and risks and things like that so um yeah it was a very clear one of course experienced by so many people but it was very very clear to see in um the responses from the young people how how sort of key that was for them and how much of a um challenging experience that was Mm-hmm. And, and what I loved about your kind of analysis there is that that idea of being left out of the conversation doesn't make things less uncertain for mm-hmm. people and you know that just was a bit of a light bulb moment for me there it's just that kind of we can easily victimize children or you know inf- your kids you don't need to worry about this we'll tell you when we know that sort of thing but by doing this research about getting the child voice is really seems to reinforce that idea that we need to do this more often and not just in a tokenistic way, just you know, engage in dialogue about these things. Absolutely. Really yeah. And actually that's something I learned from Sarah Sivers even before all of this. She was my supervisor, but it's there's so much power in, in in that honesty with young people and saying you don't know and you also feel uncertain and sort of containing that in a shared way. Um, I think can be yeah really important rather than that withholding mm. Mm. great yeah so, um, before I just talk about the the final theme and um, the conversation we've just had has reminded me particularly what Kate was just saying um like children not feeling heard is we we felt very passionately when we fed back we fed back directly to the children and young people so the document you referred to a little while ago tim and the webinar we did we spoke to the children so it was all about that you told us this is what we heard you say and i mean that developed quite naturally didn't it um that we, we were just looking at, at what they shared with us and it just didn't feel right to kind of say the children said we it, it needed to be um almost a celebration and a thank you for what they shared with us if that makes sense mm-hmm. um and to really speak back and show we heard you this is what you said to us no. um so um and i think that really ties in with the, the theme that's left and that is about relationships mm-hmm. um and as the others have said a lot of these themes they kind of intertwined with each other you can see how they bounce off of each other but are quite distinct in their own way um so relationships was about having those parents friends um teachers so the ways that they were helpful in their lives but then that 
switch side of how they missed them because they weren't at school or weren't seeing the friends that they normally did mm. so it, it was that kind of two-sided part of it that it was for everybody because you know we got a lot of positives and a lot of opportunities but we we're also aware that there was children sharing with us that they were finding things a bit more difficult um so yeah and we picked up as well that relationships moving forward was really important to the children so they wanted to know things and this is a link with sort of certainty and safety about who their new teachers going to be will they be with the same friends when they went back you know it's very much a key part of how the children and young people just made sense of their lives and they made sense of their lives in a relational way and I think as EPs, we know that, but that's what the children were telling us. Mm. So really quite a strong message, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems from an outsider's perspective is that um, just this, this relational element, it just reminds me of the kind of big sort of principles um, about building a sort of kind of a meta sense of attunement um in and using technology to, to help you to do that um and, th and that is quite profound and a complex thing to to do but re really the idea is simple is that you place relationship at the center of every aspect of what you're doing now and it's not just um uh we, we, we've done this we've got children's boys look at us we're south end um it's it's been about place that relationship and that stuff, I guess, that lots of people who might be know your channel or know your Twitter, they might not see that bit. And I think that's that's really important to kind of to emphasise the relationships that you've kind of built whilst doing this, as well as excavating this um, kind of relationship that you've got with the the young people now. Which I guess moves me on to kind of the next section of this is is what's the impact of this work been? And if we kind of start kind of locally and within that relationship moving forwards with the young people what, what's that look like from a real practical level we we've shared the document which also had suggestions for strategies and things in it so that went out to all of our schools um, and parents and young children young people themselves can go on the website and read these things then we developed some um, calendars didn't we <laughs> for children and young people to use as transition calendars, so mm. things to do through August. And, and that really reminds me of one of the um, wonderful quotes that came out of the paper that um, when we were asking what the young children wanted to happen, or young people wanted to happen before they went back to school, one of the key things that a young person shared is that they wanted the hairdressers to open so they could get the bad haircut that their mum gave mm. them sorted out. Um, so in this calendar was get a haircut. So we just I took some of those things. I noticed that actually, yeah. And at the time, <laughs> so that, yeah, my partner gave me a haircut and I'm very touchy about my hair. So that was the first thing I did was get a haircut. <laughs> so you, you influenced me in a way there. I thought that's okay if it's on the Southfield calendar. And it was kind of almost a, you know, a fun way to take what the, the children said in a practical way and an accessible way. And actually, mm -hmm. it's something that everyone needed to think about going and getting a haircut or just feeling a bit smarter after us all being in. She mm -hmm. says, I haven't had a haircut yet. Um, <laughs> uh, I've yeah, had that, two. <laughs> 
that's one of the things that yeah so we Oh, go on, Kate, you go for it. As in, yeah, so we, um, of course, did the webinar straight after as well. And that mm-hmm. was quite a quick turnaround. So I think we all um, started looking through the data, started noticing some themes and comparing them, catching up with each other. And we all had a really strong desire to um, give, uh, like, give something back to the young people to show that they'd been heard to show that they'd been listened to and that their words were really valued. And um, that felt really important to us. And we worked quite quickly. I don't, I think it was, I can't remember exactly how long it was in between closing the questionnaires and putting out a webinar. I I want to say it was like less than two weeks. Um, Yeah, but we um, basically worked really quickly to be able to give something back to the young people and and, and show them yeah that, that we had heard them mm-hmm. so we um planned to do our own webinar on the ep reach out platform and it was meant to be a standard sort of 30 minute one it turns into over an hour mm-hmm. which i think is still the longest one on there but it we all just felt we, there was just so much to say uh, we were completely privileged to have um heard from so many young people and been able to read all of their words um, and look at them all together and it was really difficult to pull it down into sort of half hour there was so much to say Mm. so much to give back and but that was that was a really important part of it I think and and we all had that really strong inclination to do it quite quickly and we we actually spoke to the young people Mm. as Sarah mentioned before and then I suppose um leading on from both the webinar and the document that we created um, we were sharing that with our senkos with our schools um, and really trying to open up that conversation really around let's start thinking about what what can we do next and and how can we support the next steps whether that be a transition into school because there was still that uncertainty from the government are they going to go back before school aren't they going to go back before the summer holidays so really starting to have those sort of conversations and create space to to have those conversations so we as um, an EPS set up some work discussion groups um, for Senkos to to bring that into a space um, sort of within our local authority within sort of the immediate environment and then I think from that we then started to think about it wider because we had such a great response from other local authorities from other people reaching out to us and saying your research has been so interesting we're really keen to do similar so then that's how we started to go more wider um, sort of with other local authorities and that's when we started to think about the blog as well because Dan O'Hare contacted us and was mm-hmm. like I want to put a blog out about this um, and we were like yes of course let's go for the next step and then start to think about actually how our small scale well, small scale in one sense, quite bigger, <laughs> bigger than expected scale um, research could actually affect the widest sense. So going all the way through to schools everywhere and thinking about on that much wider level of government and national um, sort of policy as well. And I think especially when we started re- writing that blog, we we'd sort of gone away, thought about it individually. We came back and there was all very much... a a united sense that actually it's not just about COVID but actually this could be a really great opportunity to look at the widest education system and how we can affect change at that level 
as well and use this as an opportunity as the young people have seen that this is an opportunity use that opportunity to really ask questions about our our schooling our national curriculum um, mm. the way things are done currently um considering how they had to suddenly change for covid what what does that mean for actually coming back to school yeah um, so that was sort of the natural progression i think from what we really thought about <laughs> mm. that sounds that, that sounds great and it seems to have had a quite a profound impact on on the on the team as well um in terms of how kind of you're talking about it in terms of kind of being very united and uh, i think in terms of just to, to to bring it back a little bit it, it in terms of the piece of work that you did i think as a you know somebody who's going towards new qualified status into a place i've worked for a couple of years i thought well if south end can do it and there's that that kind of way of thinking about it there maybe it's something that we could take on and no nottingham did did, did something similar too um so in terms of, i guess it's in, in in a hope theory terms it's that kind of ripple of hope um ideas that you know you see something good going on and you try and replicate it and i think that's the wonderful thing about doing things in a psychological way is that the scientific part of what we do allows for that replicable um thing but it as you're saying uh, allows you to um i guess embody ways of being which are around social justice around bringing child voice um to the to the forefront so kind of going on from that let, let's dig a bit deeper into kind of what kind of effect it had on the team um lauren did you, did you want to kind of have some input around that yeah sure it was uh, again like you say the ripples is is quite a good way of saying that it kind of started as a ripple and just just fanned out through the whole team and the impact was again I keep saying overwhelming it was a really overwhelming feeling that actually um I started saying at the beginning about the role of an EP and is this something that we can do and just having that feedback come back and having so many like-minded people be interested in what we had done and wanting to do the same it it just through all our conversations and through everything that we you know we were connecting with other people from other EPF services and it it just felt so wonderful to connect with people who were all very like-minded as you say mm. they all had that um psychology behind their thinking it was all informed by that and it was it was people who were thinking the same as us that wanted to really project that pupil voice and were so interested in hearing that um and there were you know there were things within our team one of our colleagues um dr tina axup um took it one step further and thought let's hear the voices of staff as well mm -hmm. um, so it rippled off in a different direction there and and that was wonderful because we thought yeah, why can't we do this for teachers? Because actually teachers have been in, in this position and probably we're going to find similar themes as well in, in a strange way um, coming from that. And so that had the ripple effect in that another project came from that um, that Tina did and sent out to staff. And that was really nice because it, it felt that, you know, we hoped that staff in our area felt that they were being brought into that, that they were being mm. did because it had had such a far reaching impact. 
um, it was just it came full circle really and it just opened up so many opportunities <laughs> so many discussions between us where we were all saying the same things and we were really empowered by what we'd found and how great it felt to hear that pupil voice to reflect it back and to say where can we go with this what can we do now um, it was really motivating mm. and, and that's again I'll use the word counter narrative to I guess how the role of an EP can kind of traditionally be seen as obscured or kind of mm. quite a kind of lonely profession and this is an example of a piece of work that's like places you at the centre of South End and kind of nationally for people to see that you're doing this you're communicating it you're celebrating the role yeah. that we can have and feel coming out of it feeling very empowered and together and I think people can look at big project work like this and go oh that's a lot of time we don't know what will happen uh, and it, it seems like oh that'd be kind of a bit of a, a drain on resources but actually it seems to have kind of galvanized yeah you know you as a group of, of four and perhaps beyond that with the additional work that that Tina was doing so yeah that that's that, that that's amazing um I think yeah similar to what you're saying in, in the sense that for me certainly um as I'm about to start training and I think as I mentioned briefly earlier it did give me more of a sort of growth mindset view of the profession profession mm. in a sense um and maybe more excited um but also yeah allowed us to really focus on what we've done rather than what we've lost um, allowed us to come together and share excitement about a project. It was hard work um, and it was a lot of work in a short space of time and, and still bits and bobs ongoing actually but we really called it a labour of love and I think like you said some people be like oh that's quite a big project and things like that it was just so great to have people you know someone share an idea and everyone be so excited about it and to work in that way during a difficult time mm. um actually really made a difference to certainly my experience of the of the you know going through the pandemic as well so on that personal front Hmm. Sarah? Yeah, I suppose I go back to kind of relationships again, really. Um, I mean, obviously, we all work together as a team, and, and there's that very weird experience when we were thrown into this time, and I am going to call it physical distancing, um, being apart from each other. I actually feel certainly with, um, you know, Sarah and Lauren, um, we're probably more connected and we've worked closer together than we may have done in typical times, shall we call them, um, where I might have been very immersed in my own schools and my own work. Obviously, I, Kate works alongside me as a, an assistant, so we, we had a, a slightly different um, relationship there. But no, I, I think there's been something there about um, my own reaction to the whole COVID thing about pushing back from that sense of isolation and that, that narrative of social distancing. And um, like you say, that word, that galvanised to um, connect in different ways, um, do some different work. And, you know, I, I, I have so much gratitude and appreciation for working with, with the team in this way. And mm. um, I think it's been a fantastic way to show that if you've got a passion for something and for children and young people, which is our job, doesn't matter if you're a qualified EP for a number of years or 
you know someone just starting off on the career you can work together really effectively yeah and I, I think what's um brilliant about it is that is you're kind of modeling that to people in south end and you know often you know when you go out and do this sort of work i'm guessing it may be the first time that some people have interacted uh with an ep but we do exist outside the realms of sen assessments and and all those sort of things so it's really hopeful um for me to hear that and i think something resonated with me about that sense of it, you know these projects being intrinsically rewarding in themselves but also extrinsically rewarding in terms of you find like-minded people um you know and certainly like kind of Kate was saying it's given me that kind of growth mindset about what the profession could be and the hope that it there is in having that broad church which is something that I got I did write about when I wrote my Agents of Hope um article and that was I guess that was theoretically this could work but I for me it's been so nice to find allies uh, and and people who think in a similar way across the, the nation you know on my on the podcast we've had people from Bristol Northern Ireland South End London got some from Wales Manchester coming up so it's like I, I feel much more part of something bigger which for my physical distancing um experience it's been a generally really positive one and it doesn't feel like it's taken a huge amount of energy in fact it's just given me more energy to to go out and do that and I don't know if that's something that you've experienced too as, as a group can I just expand that thought just yeah. a tiny bit so I think I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently because um the first webinar I did was with Sarah and it was not long after I found out I'd got onto the course mm. um, and we were speaking a bit about that experience of the interview and the preparation and everything like that. Um, and when I think back to it now, I was very much in a different mindset. So I was, I've done, a, I, I had done a lot of the preparation for the interview and a lot of the reading around it. And I, had this understanding of the EP role is involving sort of five main areas of focus. Mm. I knew there was flexibility around it, but I had learned it in that way for the interviews. And that was um, consultation, assessment, intervention, training and supervision. Um, and now when I think, and that was only April, May sort of time. And now after spending all of this time doing this work, um, the main things I think about in the role are the CPD and research aspects. Mm. And that's, so that's flipped completely, I think in a really positive way. Um, but it's, it's very much that move from a sort of fixed view to a much more of a, a sort of, yeah, growth mindset um, mm. model of, or, or yeah, view of what the profession can be. And, and those types of experiences have really shaped that in the ways that we adapted to that time. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I get a lot of that kind of feedback from people who message me from listening to the podcast. It's like, we weren't quite, we want to be EPs, but we weren't quite sure what they could do um, beyond the sort of statutory role. And the statutory role is, is enough, but is there other stuff we could do? And, and, and having, you know, Joe on and John McMullen and Amelia and all those sort of people. Mm -hmm. And then we tend to kind of, I think quite a few people... I've had a podcast of also webinars and it's just like you're sort of building this um, 
I guess it's like a constant year-round conference yeah. that's kind of ha- that, that's happening, and that's that's helpful and gives people that insight. And that's I, I think that's amazing that you've mm. had that experience, Kate, because I wrestled with that for such a long time as a tech. So it's it's great to hear that definitely. Yeah, and I love how it's been co-created as well because we, we mentioned Dan O'Hare. So Dan's been on mm. with you. Uh, you've been on South End EP Reach Out. Mm. We're doing a podcast with you. We've done a blog for Dan, and it's all uh, it's that created by the community, um, which I think is really powerful as well. Mm. And I'm, I'm hoping it becomes you know my I guess my vision, my uh, transcendent goal, I guess for the podcast is that. It, it becomes a thing that other taps could come on and host their own things as I kind of move into sort of the, the main grade, less relevant, less on the ground sort of thing. So I'm hoping that like you guys, it can, it can expand out. I'll still be a little bit involved. Um, but yeah, I need to do some writing, I think about hope eventually. But kind of coming to, um, I guess, the, the end of um, this, this podcast, I said I'd only keep for you an hour and it's kind of an hour and 11 minutes um, as we are. But we did have one question. I put answer, uh, a question out to the Twister community of, would you have any questions for Southland EPS? And we got one, which was, where do you get the energy from? Where do you get the time? And it's a good question. I guess it's un- underlying all of this. Do you have a, an answer to that question? I think um, for me, I certainly got the energy from working as a group together on this project. And certainly it was, we would meet and we'd talk about it and it was clear that we were just all so passionate and excited about it. And the fact that when you said something, other people were also providing that back to you. It's just a very energising experience. Mm. Certainly for me, being a third year tep, I was pretty exhausted. You know, I'd handed in my thesis. I was prepping for my viva. There was all of those other things. Mm. And I might have been avoiding them, but I certainly, for doing this work, as we've already said, you know, it was a labour of love. It it really was. Like, it was just so exciting to be a part of and to do that together that I had so much energy for that. Yes, I might have been physically exhausted around lots of things, but mm. for this, it was it was just so important and so energising to do. And actually, I think that probably helped me prep for my viva and do all the other things too because it has a knock-on effect because you're getting energy for doing something good and and as you said you know the motivation comes from it and how rewarding it was actually you know hearing the young people's voices sharing them back and and having people talk about it and say what a good good thing is saying they wanted to replicate it as a tep I was like oh my god this is this is crazy I'm just a tep (laughs) although it's at South End I don't think I've ever felt like just a tep but Mm. aspect of it you know how can a like just being a trainee or just being somebody who's not even qualified yet be involved in such a great project. Um, it really, it really was energizing and certainly having three great colleagues alongside always being just as excited as me and overwhelmed as me um, certainly helped that process. But I don't know about the others, but that for me, that was well. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I really agree with Sarah. We have such a supportive team, um, you know, it, us together discussing things. We're very supportive of each other in terms of, you know, we were talking about that um, importance of being honest. And so um, if we'd been really kind of involved with the data and the responses and, and we could say to each other, I think I've just been looking at this too long um, and I need to come away from it. Somebody else would step in and have a look and then we can have a discussion about that another time. And it, being honest in that way with each other worked so well. And then our wider team as well and our principal were all so interested and so supportive of this project um, that, you know, just personally, I felt really well supported. And I know we all just really enjoyed doing it. Um, mm-hmm. It, it was important to have that I think um those people saying to you remember to maintain that balance and you know if, if you're feeling too bogged down in the data we can you know come at it with fresh eyes another time we can have a discussion we can come at it from a different angle um just supporting each other it kind of goes along with everything we've been saying doesn't it it's that connection with people in a time that we were working virtually that certainly kept me going um mm. You know just having those relationships where you can be honest with each other and say this is what I'm finding difficult this is what I'm really loving about it and problem solving that together um I think um, I suppose with the with the energy question where do you get the energy from if I'm bluntly honest my energy was very low at the beginning of the year like mm. many of my colleagues out there in the EP world I got quite overwhelmed with the EHCP processes lots of work in school lots of very tricky complex cases and actually as as we went into this time of unknown it was almost kind of like a switch of I've got to do so I can do something different now actually because things have paused in some ways still doing statutory work in whatever way we could but there just seemed to be a bit of a space for me to do some of the things that I might not have been able to do before and mm-hmm. um yeah I mean going from some of the things you've been working on with your hope theory there was that just um intuition of just going for it and doing something different and then as the others have said having people come alongside that or feel exactly the same then that energized me and the person that asked that question has got quite a bit of energy too. Yes. <laughs> Kate, do you have any reflections? Um, yeah, very similar um, to the rest of the team, I think. I, I was still working on a couple of other pieces of work when this period started, um, but it didn't feel right. It felt it felt right to acknowledge what was happening. Um acknowledge the situation and do some work around it and so my time obviously was um sort of observed by my supervisor and the principal as well so it was a decision that I could be involved in this project but I think it was that was because it was a a really really good use of my time Mm. both in my experience but also as a response as the serve from the service to the to this um, period of time um but yeah for me personally I was really grateful for that it felt very right to be doing some work about what was happening uh, rather than sort of um yeah not completely acknowledging it and doing bits of work around it or still trying Mm. to maintain as if my job hadn't changed and 
you know all the young people's lives hadn't changed so um I think I had energy to have that focus and to actually find out what those experiences were for children and young people and of course to do it alongside such wonderful colleagues. Mm -hmm. So I guess to kind of sum up from uh kind of my kind of perspective of what I'm hearing there is that you kind of um you took on a meaningful and energizing task in it, in itself, which was was relevant and confronted uncertainty. Um, yeah, and you ensured that you took those opportunities which that uncertain time um, presented, and you balanced kind of healthy and safety, uh, healthy and safe um, work practices with the relationships of of supporting each other. Uh, on that, which is quite similar to your themes of your research about safety, certainty, relationships and opportunities. So, you know, you embody the values that, that you research and you live by, which is, which is amazing. Um, yeah, so we're kind of getting to the end now and I'm just wondering whether you had any sort of conclusions or any um, call to actions or if we go into another lockdown, what could other people be doing, Sarah? I think this is probably a good time right at the last to um, bring our colleagues from Knots into the space. And course, yeah. um, so Maddie and Elaine, we did the joint um, report on as well, which we sent out to many people. And I'm just in my head now, I have a tweet that Maddie sent um, a couple of days ago, which called for everyone to keep up the momentum. So that will be mm. my concluding comment to all the wonderful EPs out there. We've got some momentum going now. Let's keep it going. Absolutely. I really feel like in a strange way this is it's a closure to this part of things but it feels like just the beginning as well in a, in a very mm. way because it, all the way through we've very much thought we can't just sit with this and that's kind of been our, our motto all the way through we, we have to do something with this now that we've got such important information and it feels the same even now this is coming to a close what can we do next with this how can we push this forward as as, as people go back to school and, and things become different um how can we how can we go forward um i think is is what we're thinking great i'd probably go back to that growth mindset message as obviously it's been part of my experience and, and continues to be um that yeah there's um not to not to feel uh, sort of limited or um bounded by the profession and i suppose to have that um asking questions about what you can do and and doing it collaboratively um with colleagues and things like that right and on that note i suppose for me i'm really thinking about the future and um what we as a team can do next, but also how we can link up with other services, other professionals to really keep the momentum going and make sure that our children and young people's voices are shared, heard and can impact change on every level, if possible, really. Thank you, Doug. I mean, I think that's a really strong place to, to end the episode on. So thank you so much, Kate, both Sarah's and and lauren it's been an absolute pleasure and i'm really looking forward to seeing where i guess is it season two of the youtube channel is it like a <laughs> netflix thing um and that starts on the 17th doesn't it yeah yeah paula yeah. and i are doing the first one on dynamic assessment so please sign up 
Yes, brilliant. I'll put links in in the um, in 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 the reference list and all that that, that goes to this this podcast. But thank you guys so much, and we'll end it there if it's okay. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Tim.